Then you took the greatest thing away from me, my parents. A drunk driver slammed his truck into them and killed them instantly. He had probably also convinced himself of something. He was cool. He was not one of those people. That's when our relationship should have ended. But like the driver, I still thought that I had this in hand. In fact, it was him, not you, that killed my parents. Him, not alcohol. Deluded and so deeply into you and me, wasn't I? So I carried on with you, grief-stricken and angry. Vodka, whiskey, with the boys, climbing the career ladder, traveling, feeling nothing, just living for myself, for my booze, any booze and lots. I had become the thief. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. This week, I'm chatting to Voyo, a lovely lady who found us a couple of years ago. She came along to a workshop. She got sober, and she's been a really valuable member of our community ever since. I began my conversation with Voyo by asking her to tell us a bit about herself. My name is Voyo. I am a 48-year-old uh, single parent of two. I have a, a daughter who's 14 years old and a son who is seven. I am in an executive position and have been for uh, the last 15 years or so. And, um, and yeah, so I, I live in Cape Town at the moment with my children and uh, they also go to boarding school. So I have um, moments when I'm alone and moments that I spend with them. Okay, so so let's rewind a little bit, Voyo. Um, talk to me about when you first started drinking alcohol. Were, were you very young or quite a mature person? What, what age did you start getting into your wine? Well, I started drinking at the age of 18, once I was at university, seriously. So up until then, I had... Um, dabbled and you, you know you take a sip of your parents wine or you get a little bit when um there's some kind of a celebration and the sparkling wine is poured for everybody so you just get a dot um and and also as a member of the Anglican church I grew up um taking communion wine from the time I was 10 years old so I've been exposed to wine and my parents would uh, enjoy a glass of wine they they would have sherry in the in the evenings while they were preparing uh, dinner or over the weekends when they were just relaxing and enjoying each other's company so um it was a feature uh, a normal feature of our family life and certainly of our worship. But I only started drinking wine um, 
when I got to university. When did you start to worry about your alcohol consumption? So I started to worry about my alcohol consumption and and really paying attention to it about five years ago. And 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 I only started paying attention to it because it, it had just become such a loud clanging gong. Um so I had been avoiding and so I think the awareness had been there um for much longer than bef- you know than, than 2015. But because it was such a normal way of socializing and such a normal um way of of unwinding and it was so acceptable socially and in the workplace and it was something that we joked about even though I had a niggling feeling that something was wrong I didn't necessarily pay attention to it until my health started to um, indicate that you know my body was no longer coping with the alcohol I also had started to notice my daughter's discomfort. So she was um, about 10 years old, nine years old, and, I, and she had started to, to comment. And so she was also starting to notice uh, something about my drinking. And, and, and so that's when I started also to pay attention. I think that it reached a point where there were just too many things to ignore, so I think it's possible and it was possible for me to ignore many, many signals. And I believe and I know that there were many, many signals along the way. But it was only when um, it reached a point where things that mattered to me started to, to, to raise their, their, their head or, or raise the alarm. And that was my health specifically and also my, my daughter's um, my daughter's. Um, indications that she could notice what was happening. Uh, And did you ever try to stop by yourself or try to drink a little less? I did. I actually just came across a a Facebook post where in 2017, in early 2017, I was at work, I was hungover, I went into um, the bathroom and I took a snapshot of myself and I posted it on Facebook and I said, I'm putting this here for Facebook to remind me uh, next year and in the future. And obviously my friends didn't know what that was about uh, because I was dressed, I was at work, I was functional, um, even though I was hungover. And that was an attempt. I think it was about April 2017. That was an attempt. And then after that, I realized that, and I think from that point that I had started making the attempts, then the, the awareness just became as big as an elephant in the room and I needed to, to do something about it. And that's, that's about the time that I, I found World Without Wine. It's also about the time that I started talking about it ever so cautiously with people I felt that I could trust and with people who I felt would, um, would, uh, would honour my confidence. Okay, so, so you came along to uh, a workshop. What, what were your objectives there? Do, did you want to give up completely or were you going to try and moderate? What, what was... So the mind, uh, what was in my mind was to gain some kind of control. I, it took me very long to accept that the idea of abstinence, I think the idea of abstinence was, I think it would have been too much of an admission that something was wrong. 
Um, but what I wanted was to be able to have better control over the drink and have better control over my habit. Uh, because remember, I think stopping comes with the admission that you have gone beyond a certain point and, and you are an alcoholic and you're certainly uh, dealing with an addiction. And I think those were all too big for me to deal with uh, when I came yes. to the workshop. So what I wanted was to, to be able to, to, to handle the alcohol and to be able to abstain when I wanted to. Okay, boy. So you left the workshop after being with us for that day, and talk, talk me through what happened since the workshop. So after the workshop, I I committed to. So I left with my toolbox or my toolkit of um, of of things to just that would help me with uh, with my journey of abstinence, and um, and what I did was to commit to the 100 days and I and I remember I actually started I actually started and 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 I was doing a good count of 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 the days when I was dry and 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 doing um, you know making some decent progress about that and I think that's when I got to the point around the public holidays where I thought I could and I think this is the mistake that a lot lot of us uh, recovering addicts or alcoholics uh, make the error of thinking that we can just have one. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. These are all things that I heard on the workshop is that you will, we've reached a point where we can't just have one anymore because, it, you know, one is never enough. And, and, and that's when I went back to I'll just have one. And, and I think that's when I realized I needed to go through that exercise of thinking that I could just have one and actually failing at having just one eventually. Because I think initially I, I, it was just one and then it was just one. And then eventually I just, it just became too many and much more than one. It really was a, a fairly speedy decline from just having one and feeling like I was on top of it because uh, then I just I went back into old ways and patterns of thinking of saying, oh well, it's it's only going to be two, and then it's only a bottle, and after all, and then and then the, there's a pattern of thinking that supports continued um, and increased levels of drinking, and and that's when I realized that it doesn't take too long for me to slip back into old ways, and and also that that there really wasn't any other way um, of getting out of this or dealing with my drinking other than the actual abstinence and, and just total, total um, being a teetotaler. Yeah, we, we have to get to that point, don't we, when we accept that we, we just can't drink, we can't touch the stuff. So you arrived at that point. So, so how long have you been alcohol-free now, Boya? It's 556 days. <laughs> Fantastic. So that's, that's how many how many hours and minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that count. Um but it's, it's it's significant. I think for me it's been uh, it's been birthdays, it's been Christmases, it's been cocktail parties, it's been meetings. Um and, and that for me is how I have um I have uh, just l- 
counted or, 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 or looked at my sobriety in terms of the milestones that I have passed, uh, the number of Christmases, the number of birthdays, the number of office parties that I have managed to go through and actually just enjoy also because eventually I got to the point where I was able to enjoy them as well. Initially it was about just grinning and bearing it and getting out of there yes. as soon as I possibly could. But then I reached a point where my body had just so become accustomed to living uh, without alcohol that it was no longer a strange thing for me to, to, um, to be in the company of people and also to deal with some of the pain and the grief and the stress that I've had to deal with uh, where I, the most natural thing would have been to, to drown my sorrows and just to forget about what's happened at work or what's, forget about what's happening with the kids or whatever. Um, I just reached a point where my coping mechanisms um, evolved to something that drew, that, that, that enabled me to draw from my inner strength as opposed to drawing from, you know, comfort from uh, a bottle of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, so I've got you on video, so I can tell you, you look fabulous. How do you feel? How do you feel physically? I feel marvelous. I feel absolutely great. I feel like I can do anything that I can put my mind to. I feel completely capable and I feel I'm much calmer. I'm much calmer and I am far better able to deal with the, the challenges and the difficulties that I encounter without, um, I'm less emotional. Uh, and 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 I'm less volatile. Of course, I I do experience those um, those peaks and and those lows as well. But I feel that they are far more manageable. And and really, it's about me putting my mind to um, whether it's prayer or meditation or even a conversation with um, a friend or a sister or you know somebody who understands or even within the um, world without one support group. I've had numerous conversations with, with people where I've said, um, I'm, I'm dealing with this, I'm struggling with this, and, and they have, and often what you find is that they have gone through the same thing, that they're able to relate and they're able to share what worked with them or for them and, and, just, and just encourage and, and support uh, one through, through those, those moments. Yeah, I think that's what's uh, awesome about our community because we're all at different stages, aren't we? So yeah. we can look back. And I was just yeah. looking at uh, a comment now on our group, a lady that just can't sleep. You know, and I remember that, that period so well. And I used to read books till 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but once you get through that, you, you just sleep so much better. Uh, if you could go back to a time when your drinking was at its most hectic, what, what would you tell yourself? It's never going to get better. Hmm. Whatever it is that is the um, compelling justification for your drinking, the way that you're drinking, it's only going to get worse. There is no, um, there is no positive outcome and there is no positive resolution and that this can only end in tragedy and these days what what would you say is keeping you on track i'm i'm fueled by 
the success that I have attained so far from a sobriety perspective. Um, I, I also just have a perspective, and that keeps me on track as well. Um, I have I have a, a, a perspective that I either didn't have or chose not to have when I was drinking because I think there's very much a selective focus on um, things um, as they unfold and the outcomes that can that can result from from whatever that situation is. Um, I'm kept on track by what it is that got me here in the first place. I'm kept on track by the realization that um, I was in a very, very difficult and dark place. Um, I'm also kept on track by the understanding of um, my family, that my genetic connection to alcohol. When I look, I see my father's um, siblings, for example. I see some of my own relatives and I see how they are um, interacting with alcohol. And, and I'm also kept in track by the people in my immediate circle. So that is my children and, and, and the wonderful community we have. And if you had to summarize the benefits of alcohol-free living, how would you summarize them? There is, um, I would say that my relationships uh, so, so that is a, a very significant psychosocial benefit. Um, there is my health and my well-being. Uh, I had blood pressure, um, looming blood pressure issues. I had gastric issues when I was um, when I was drinking. There is um, there's also just the, the the feeling of in better con- being in better control of the way in which I respond to situations. So there's also just an emotional benefit uh, to to being sober. Uh, I sleep better, much better. Uh, I used to, I had reached a point where I thought I was an insomniac and I realized that I'm not an insomniac, actually. I worry less. Um, and I think the worry less has got a lot to do with the guilt that, is no longer a subliminal constant in the way uh, that I relate to myself and relate to other people. I think when I was drinking, I always felt guilty. I always, you know, wondered if if somebody, you know, there was always just the suspicion, this um, uh, almost paranoia that was. Um, I think there's there's definitely an emotional well being as well that um, that is a benefit that I'm enjoying. So you you mentioned earlier that uh, you have this feeling uh, that you could do anything if you managed to do this. And and I I share that feeling. And I I often say these days in workshops that sobriety is a superpower. (laughs) So apart from that, have you learned anything else about yourself since uh, you've you've been on this journey? You've learned that you have a lot of strength. What other things? I've also learned that... um other than the fact that I've also learned that I like myself. I like myself a lot. Um, I've I've learned to appreciate that I am a really worthwhile person. Um, I've learned that I am, I've learned to accept myself as well and just appreciate who I am and the way that I've been made. Because I think um, also the, the use of alcohol had a lot to do with masking things 
that I didn't like and avoiding things that I didn't want to deal with. There'll be people listening to this foyer that um, are still drinking, maybe too much, and they want to make a change, but they they just don't really know where to start. What, what would you recommend to them? Stay connected. Stay connected to people who care about your well-being and stay connected to people who will be able to support your journey um, on sobriety. So in the moments where I felt that I was um, not coping, I was not doing well, and I was tempted to give up, the one thing that I was determined not to do was to leave the, the World Without Wine community because even though some of the things that were being posted or spoken about were things that felt insurmountable and unachievable to me, my ultimate desire to be sober for, for my benefit and for my children's benefit and for the benefit of my health um, kept me there. Even if you are drinking and even if you think that it's not possible to stop, my advice is get connected and stay connected. There will be a day when something shifts and it will shift in a way that it, it never goes back to what it was before. And I wasn't able to understand it. I wasn't able to define it. I wasn't able to anticipate it. But when it did happen, it made all of the difference. And it was purely because I stayed and refused to leave. Yeah, that, that's wonderful advice for you. They, uh, they say, don't they, that connection is the opposite of addiction. And yeah. I really believe yeah. that. Okay, well, we're going to uh, finish off by hearing your goodbye to alcohol letter. But uh, before you start, I just wanted to explain a little bit why we do this. Uh, the Goodbye to Alcohol Letter is a, a tool in our toolkit that we uh, we go through at the workshop. And the idea behind writing a Goodbye to Alcohol Letter is that alcohol can be like an abusive lover. Alcohol comes into your life, it gets a grip on you, and if things go wrong, then it, it, it seriously goes wrong. And you might try to finish with that lover, kick them out, tell them to go away, separate but very often they'll keep coming back. So we we suggest that people write to uh, to alcohol as if it's a lover. And there's something quite cathartic about doing this. It's, um, it's like drawing a line under it. I remember I, I wrote mine in uh, quite quickly, but it, it came from the heart. And I read it again the other day. And it's I wouldn't change anything about it. There's something so powerful about writing these. And we've got uh, many letters from our community now, and they uh, we we make a home for them on a website called goodbyetoletters.com. So I'll put that in the show notes if you'd like to read some more. Uh, but now Voyo is going to read her fabulous letter. You're listening to Goodbye to Alcohol, a podcast from World Without Wine. So my goodbye letter goes as follows. I met you in respectable circumstances, was introduced to you, in fact, by very respectable people. My parents, my role models, leaders in the church of my youth. The many versions of you, wine, a constant feature at our dinner table, 
Sherry, my parents' companion, as I caught up on each other's day in the kitchen and prepared the family meal. In church, as we celebrated the most holy sacrament, you were there. Every Sunday, it was not complete without you. Wine muscadel, to be exact, the blood of Christ. So what could be wrong with me inviting you into my life as I blossomed into adulthood? Cream liqueur with ice cream sometimes, but increasingly neat. Punch at res parties, introducing you to and sharing you with my friends. I knew you. I knew you well. Sparkling wine, you had been a part of every celebration and family function that I experienced growing up. It felt good to share my life moments with you. I was cool. Life was happening. It was all good. Yeah, sure, I stumbled, stuttered, blacked out, vomited, but that was all part of the fun. I was getting to know you, learn how to be with you, the rules of the game, as it were. This was a lifetime thing we were doing here. I could not imagine life without you. I thought about you all the time. As I left work, I could not get to you fast enough. At home, just you and me. If there was a function that took me out of my comfort zone, you were there to ease things up. Increasingly, some functions were just not worth going to if you were not going to be there. I should have paid attention when I started losing stuff, my memory, money. I would wake up in the morning after I would wake up the morning after to check my bank account and have no idea how I had spent so much. Were you stealing from me, my friends? Those who hung around because I lost some precious people too would laugh and tell me not to overreact. Being with you came with some awkward moments, but at least we weren't doing drugs, right? Of course, but I kept losing stuff. My self-respect, my self-assurance. I was always wondering if the next person could smell you on my breath, but I couldn't ask. Wait a minute, when did, you, when did our thing become a secret? I remember convincing myself that I was okay. I didn't have a hip flask. I went to work daily. My children always had food, hugs, shelter, and a damn fine education. I was not anything like those people. I didn't party anymore. I was cool. I was making a contribution and abiding by the law. In retrospect, these are the things that made my relationship with you, my secret, even more dangerous. Nobody ever got worried enough about our association because nobody really knew just how deep it had become. Then you took the greatest thing away from me, my parents. A drunk driver slammed his truck into them and killed them instantly. He had probably also convinced himself of something. He was cool. He was not one of those people. That's when our relationship should have ended. But like the driver, I still thought that I had this in hand. In fact, it was him not you that killed my parents. Him, not alcohol. Deluded and so deeply into you and me, wasn't I? So I carried on with you, grief-stricken and angry. Vodka, whiskey, with the boys, climbing the career ladder, traveling, feeling nothing, just living for myself, for my booze, any booze and lots. I had become the thief. I was throwing away I was throwing it away as my blood pressure, my gastric system, and my inflammation markers started to tell the story of distress that my doctors could not perceive. You and me were stealing away at my vitality, my opportunity for healing. I was hiding. I was lying. Nobody knew except my young, trusting, loving children, and even they didn't understand. Then my day of reckoning came. 
One, the usual Sunday afternoon dash just before the liquor store closed. I did what a caring mother does. I parked my car. I told my clever five-year-old to wait for mommy and count to 100. Remotely locked the car and dashed across the busy road into the liquor store. Caring? Really? I had lost even more of myself. For you? Quickly. Anything. Quickly. Moments later, I emerged from the liquor store with my stash in hand. My son was standing at the verge of the bustling main road, intending to follow me. A taxi driver had stopped his car, stopped my son from crossing and was screaming blue murder at me. You and me were caught red-handed, a friendship, love affair, gone bad, Bonnie and Clyde style. It was not only my son. At home, my beautiful, vibrant daughter was increasingly growing quiet observing, focusing elsewhere, learning to guilt trip me when she did care. She was realizing that her voice was not audible to me. She was realizing that her mom was sick, guilty, and manipulable. So my friend, my companion, my comfort, the tide has turned. Times were once good, top of the world, popping stuff, but I'm drawing the line. I've lost enough, I'm orphaned, I'm also blessed with perspective and the ability to reflect. I lost it for a while, so caught up in the romance and sophistication of wine, but you and me are no longer good together. Ours is no longer a honeymoon. I am hurt, I'm hurting too, and my pain is multiplied, amplified by the hurt that I've inflicted on my children and that they continue to inflict on, on themselves and on others today and into the future. I started out with positive role models, but that's not what I am now. They're starting with negative role model. What chance do they stand? Yes, I am a contributor. I am a giver, but no more of myself to you. Thank you for the good times. Thank you for also sharing the dark side. Enough to push me back into the light, the possible, the messy, the real. I'm finding myself again. No frills, no pizzazz, no life and soul of the party. Just good, loving, pre present, conscious, generous me. Just enough, just in time. Thank you so much, Foyo. It's been great to catch up with you again and hear how things have been going. As usual, I'm going to pull out three points from that conversation. Three points that resonated with me and I think may be useful to you. Now, like many of us, the fact that Boyo couldn't imagine her life without alcohol had kept her trapped. She came along to the workshop because she wanted to learn how to control it. How did she put it? She said she wanted to learn how to handle it. I mean, you hear that, don't you? You hear people say, oh, she can handle her drink, that one. Or in, in my case, it was, oh, she can't handle her drink, that one. So she wanted to learn how to control it, in effect. And even after the workshop, she got to that place where she thought, oh, I'm sure I can manage just one glass. Spoiler alert, she couldn't. It took a while, but as she said in our conversation, it ramped up pretty quickly. Just a few weeks and she was back where she started. But with perspective, you do get perspective when you look back on this journey and she now realises that she had to go through that stage of trying and failing, trying and failing, before she could accept and make peace with the fact that she'd have to stop drinking altogether. That's a huge step once you accept that. 
Now, she managed to stay on track by celebrating and building on her sober firsts. The first dinner party, the first wedding, they were not easy, but she treated them as challenges to be ticked off. Each event got progressively easier. The second wedding, the second dinner party, the second work function gets easier and easier. And eventually the breakthrough comes when she found herself actually enjoying herself without the booze. And my final point is that um, we heard that haunting goodbye to alcohol letter. Voyeur tells us that she tragically lost both of her parents to a drunk driver. And then she almost lost her beautiful son when he followed her across a busy road as she dashed into the liquor store. Stories like these chill us to the bone and drive home the fact that alcohol can cause catastrophic events which will change our lives forever. So let me end with a couple of tips. First of all, never get trapped by thinking that you just couldn't give up drinking completely. The big secret that I wish that I'd known when I embarked on this journey that lasted for years and years in my case, it's actually much easier to give up completely than to try and control it. Alcohol is an addictive drug and we need to remember that. And secondly, grab a journal and log those sober firsts because they are the foundation for your alcohol-free future. Think of them as building bricks. Each event will be difficult to start with, but eventually you'll learn to enjoy yourself without the booze. It is possible. Believe me. So thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe, share and leave us a review. Till next time. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.